from the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas. It's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. This is going to be an interdivisional podcast where uh, my guest and I will discuss how the TW and AFL-CIO are dealing with the COVID-19 virus. First of all, I'd like to introduce everyone joining the discussion today. From the Transit Division of the Transport Workers Union, we have Carl Martin. From the Rail Division, we have Brian DeLucia. From the Air Division, Gary Peterson. We have Sean Doyle. Sean's the Assistant Organizing Director, and he's the International Safety Coordinator. And we have M.K. Fletcher of the AFL-CIO, and M.K. is a Safety and Health Specialist. I want to thank everyone for joining me. Let's get started today, and uh, if we could, let's start with you, Carl. What, if anything, are the employers in the Transit University Utilities and Services Division doing to assist and protect our members from the coronavirus outbreak? Hello, Brian. Thanks for having me on today. It seems like maybe two weeks ago, not a lot was happening. A week ago, they were taking more notice, and now we're into this week, and it's all over the news, and everybody's very aware of things that are happening with this virus. So our employers are putting out to the members flyers, emails, announcements about how to prevent the spread of the disease or the virus, and uh, what are the best practices for this. Seems like a lot of them are following the uh, CDC guidelines, the hand-washing technique and uh, sneezing into a Kleenex or your elbow and those kind of things that everybody's hearing about. The employers are also providing additional sanitizers, hand wipes, uh, making sure that soap dispensers are always full in the, in the places where our members would wash their hands. They are allowing our operators uh, to wear masks if they choose to, but they're not providing them. And as I said earlier, they're providing other things as sanitizers and hand wipes. They're providing gloves in some places, but not all places. They are also putting sanitizing dispensers right on the vehicles for passengers to use and for our members to use while they're on their buses or trains. And they're making public service announcements to the passengers. There's flyers on the buses and trains for the passengers. So they're not only talking to our passengers, but they are communicating with our members and letting them know the things that they're doing to help prevent the spread of any more of the virus. There's task forces that are in place. There's committee meetings daily that are in place that some of our uh, union leadership are being involved in. These uh, meetings are taking place daily now. Okay, Brian, what about in the rail division? Uh, What about the passenger train carriers? What are they doing to uh, combat the coronavirus? Hello, everybody, and thank you for the invite, Brian. Currently, what what, uh, railroads are doing is um, we have Metro Railroad between New York and Connecticut, and they immediately, early last week, started disinfecting the trains. A lot of it is on overtime. Some is, you know, doing it daily with the regular cleaners. Amtrak, what they did is they had their onboard cleaners doing a little bit more in the disinfectant and then uh, has since upgraded their regular cleaners' duties to, you know, do necessary disinfecting every day now. We have uh, Keolis up in Boston. Uh, they had started late last Friday in doing some extensive disinfecting, as has New Jersey Transit and the Pack Railroads have done some extensive disinfecting on their trains as well. Okay, Gary, what are you hearing from the airlines that uh, we represent at? 
Yeah, so the airlines um, themselves have been fairly responsive. We've had uh, a lot of communications with um, through our representatives, through the uh, airlines themselves, and I'm aware that you know all of them are working through um, A4A, which is an organization that they all belong to, on coordination. Some of the carriers have brought in medical experts to help support their internal staff uh, because it seems, at least in the airlines, things keep changing daily. So a lot of the carriers are doing briefings throughout the course of the week. They're also putting out a lot of information to the members via the internet and on the shop floor. So they, they're doing what they can to keep everybody informed. But I think uh, much to what Carl was saying earlier is this thing is so fluid that it changes from day to day and, and sometimes during the day. So um, we're all trying to get our arms around it. And it seems as though the carriers are doing their best to do the same. Okay. And I'd like to go next, if I could, to MK Fletcher of the AFL-CIO. Thank you for joining me, MK. What's the current state of the COVID-19 outbreak right now? And, you know, what workers are the most impacted by this? Thank you so much for having me. This is a constantly evolving situation. But as of March 11th, the World Health Organization declared the COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic. This means that globally there's sustained transmission of the virus. And then here in the U.S., there are clear outbreaks of the virus, particularly in California and then in Washington State, where there's community outbreaks. There's an outbreak in a long-term care facility in Washington State where several of the older residents have passed away and healthcare workers have become sick from the virus. Now that the government is doing slightly more testing for the virus, we're seeing more confirmed cases throughout the state. The virus can spread through the air and survive on surfaces. It can be transmitted even when people don't have symptoms. Symptoms of COVID-19 include fever, cough, shortness of breath, very similar to flu-like symptoms. Um, most people are only going to have mild symptoms, however, but older people and individuals with underlying illnesses are at greater risk of severe disease. I think it's important for us to all stay informed throughout this public health crisis, but also not to panic and to prepare ourselves for lifestyle changes. Infectious disease experts say that the main way we'll be dealing with this outbreak is through personal hygiene and then also community mitigation. So for personal hygiene, it's important to remember the basics to protect yourself from any respiratory illness. And the CDC has great guidance on this. And, you know, we've touched on it already here today. And then for community mitigation, we'll see more things like reduced travel, cancellation of events and gatherings, which you've seen all these sporting events being canceled, closings of schools, and then remote work being instituted. However, for many workers, working from home isn't an option. And these are the workers that are going to be most impacted. These are the workers on the front lines of exposure to this growing outbreak, such as healthcare workers, first responders, airline workers, other transportation workers, such as bus and rail, among others. However, as this outbreak continues to evolve, many others may be at risk, like other public-facing workers and those who their employers deem them as essential personnel during this crisis. And this is one reason why it's so important now for employers to take actions to protect workers from exposure and prepare for outbreak scenarios in their local area. Okay, MK, if I could stay with you just a minute. Uh, you know, again, I, I appreciate you joining from the AFL-CIO, which represents all of labor. So we're a transportation union. We work in confined spaces, airplanes, trains, buses, even the universities. You know, everyone's packed into, you know, large crowds packed into an area. We're basically frontline ground zero of this war on this virus, correct? 
Yeah, you definitely are. You know, you're the people interacting with the public in small spaces, helping us get from point A to point B so that we can all do our daily lives and and keep the world moving. And that's why it's so important that employers have plans in place to protect you guys so that we can keep moving and keep society going. Okay, if I could, Sean, I'd like to move over to you. I know that you've been involved and uh, you've been uh, helping the TWU and and monitoring this. You know, so since the start of the coronavirus, give us some background on how the TWU International has been involved, you know, in trying to coordinate the information that's been released so far. Thanks, Brian. And I I just want to say I think these podcasts are a great way to communicate to our members. Since the coronavirus issue came to the forefront, TW International has been invited to join other labor organizations to participate on multiple conference calls with the President's uh, Coronavirus Task Force updates, the federal transportation calls, as well as the national AFL-CIO sponsored calls with all the affiliated unions to make sure the TW concerns are captured for all the divisions we represent. The government agencies we've, we've been dealing with are the uh, CDC, FAA, OSHA, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, TSA, Department of Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, Department of Transportation, and NIOSH as well. But when we do receive this latest information, we update uh, the TWU senior leadership, the departments within the TWU, for example, Government Affairs Department and our Communications Department. And we also ensure we are updating our TWU International website on our safety page, as well as with the latest links and guidance on how to best protect your safety and health. The TWU Communications Department continues to utilize all of our available resources to communicate through social media and direct emails to our membership. I've also been uh, monitoring employer website postings to make sure they are communicating the correct information, as well as in a timely manner. Uh, We also continue to watch for any updates to any enhancements to the usage of acquired PPE, which is personal protection equipment that would need to be shared with our locals immediately. Okay. And uh, historically, you've had a little bit of experience dealing with a a situation similar to this. Uh, Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think kind of tells my age, but 35 years on the American Airlines property, we have faced a number of these situations in the past. But this particular experience here, the first thing that comes to mind is the pace of the information coming out of the federal government. When the coronavirus first came to light, uh, it seems there was a limited response from the federal government, and there were efforts to try and even downplay the severity of this virus. Same with the employers and the local government agencies. Now, going back to the Bush and Obama administrations, there was a much more focused approach to the health crisis that their administrations faced. You know, for example, the SARS outbreak and the Ebola outbreaks. During the Ebola crisis, there was far more cooperation, cooperative measures, I should say, between organized labor, federal agencies, and the White House. We also held high-level meetings in D.C. with representatives from the government agencies that were responsible for our health and safety and the top corporate safety representatives that all the U.S. flag carriers, as well as senior labor leaders and union safety representatives, bring forth the more of a, co- a collaborative effort to work together and to make sure we were all on the same page here in the United States. One of the efforts to come from these means was the clear understanding of the need for fact sheets that would be beneficial to each specific work group. Uh, what flight attendants may be dealing with uh, in the cabin could very well be different from what, say, an aircraft mechanic or a police short clerk may be exposed to. This information was uh, very helpful to our local union leadership to make sure the individual uh, employers were following the federal guidelines that were issued. Uh, 
we were also able to focus on the proper training of the usage of the PPE and, and not only the application and usage, but the removal and disposal of these PPEs uh, in a proper manner. So there, to me, there has been a, a definite difference from past administrations. Okay, I mean, that's good information. I appreciate that. Uh, Brian, if I could go back to you. Uh, scenario, in the unfortunate event that maybe uh, an infected passenger gets on a train, what would happen then? We've already had this happen. Uh, there was a Amtrak train from St. Louis to Chicago. The passenger became infected. The train was immediately disinfected and returned to service. We've also had a similar incident on Metro North up in New York. Same thing was done. That train was extensively clean and disinfected. Amtrak, to go back to, Amtrak was also, you know, once that event happened that the passenger was infected, Amtrak stayed in contact with our onboard service members and the passengers as well just to inform them of what, you know, was going on. Okay, and Carl, let's go back to you if we can. Uh, you know, I know you represent people in municipalities and uh, universities and stuff like that. Has, any, has there been any school closings with the members that you represent? Yeah, Brian, we, uh, we represent other people other than just bus and train operators. We have in schools, we have custodians and trades workers. We represent people at universities. To my knowledge, there's not been any school closings where our members are working right now, but there has been cancellations of school events where large groups of people would gather. But our people are being asked to work overtime. They're being offered to work overtime to do extra cleaning. You know, there's in a, in a school, you know how many hundreds of doorknobs there are, the bathrooms, the, the keyboards. All the, you know, all the flat surfaces, everything is getting cleaned more, getting cleaned better. In New York, they're cleaning everything every 72 hours. It's Everything's being sanitized um, or more often, if necessary, a lot of extra services that are being performed because of this. And our members, you know, our members are subjected to it. The, the custodians are... They're right there on the front line cleaning all of this stuff. Some of our, not just operators, but monitors on buses are moving wheelchairs and assisting passengers. We can't avoid human contact or contact with the things that people are touching and using and trying to carry out our daily lives. So we're just working on that stuff, and we represent a lot of people in a lot of industries out there all over the country. It goes from coast to coast. Everybody's, everybody's affected at this point. Absolutely. And uh, tell your members to keep up the good work. You know, I mean, they're doing vital work to try to keep it safe. Gary, if I could go back to you on the Air Division side, you know, the president spoke last night and he issued a travel ban on flights from Europe. Talk about that a little bit. This is obviously a very fluid situation for us. Um, the statement was weighed by the president last night on uh, nationwide TV. And so it left a lot of us wondering exactly what was being announced. Hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, we'll have more definitive information. But as of right now, we don't know the full, at least we don't have the full understanding uh, yet. But what we do know is that people will be restricted in Europe from flying back to the U.S. Doesn't sound like it's going to be U.S. citizens. But we don't know enough about the restrictions. We don't know how they'll be deployed or how they'll be enforced. So obviously, um, this is something that, like I said, is fluid. And as we get more information, we'll we'll know more. But it could could significantly impact the carriers uh, based on the U.S. coming back and uh, how they're going to do that. We just don't know yet. 
Okay, and if I can stay with you for a second, you know, what's the Air Division doing, you know, coordinating on efforts of the COVID-19? So internally, um, we set up a series of calls and, and the groups working together inside of the Air Division. We're, we're collecting and organizing uh, information from all the carriers uh, that we represent and just trying to make sure that whatever information one carrier is providing, we should be seeing at another. I said earlier, I know they're all in coordination with each other through A4A. So we're just monitoring that and making sure that everybody, our members at each of the carriers are getting very similar bulletins, announcements along the way to keep them up to speed on what's happening as, as the situation changes. Okay. And on the rail division, Brian, you know, what steps uh, are being taken over there? We're similar to uh, the airline division. We have stayed in constant contact with all our rail carriers. We're ensuring the safety and welfare of the members, the public. We're making sure they're following proper uh, procedures for cleaning, disinfecting, uh, the use of their PPE or personal protective equipment, and relaying that back to the members as well. Great. Uh, And I'm sure everyone's keeping the members informed. MK, if I could go back to you, you know, on the AFL-CIO front, what actions are the government agencies taking to protect workers, such as OSHA or the CDC? OSHA is the government agency that ensures the safety and health of Americans workforce, and they do this by creating enforceable standards for employers to follow. Last week, the AFL-CIO TWU and 21 other unions petitioned the Department of Labor to issue an emergency temporary standard for infectious diseases like COVID-19 for all at-risk workers. And this would require employers to have a comprehensive plan in place for this type of outbreak, including protections, training, and communication. And OSHA had actually started on an infectious disease standard already, um, but work was halted on it when Trump entered office. So right now, there is not any enforceable standard um, that the government has. And in the place of an enforceable standard, OSHA and CDC have issued guidelines for employers in specific industries that have elevated risk, such as airline operations and wastewater and solid waste management. Um, The labor movement, including TWU, has been very involved in pushing for protective guidelines and more specific guidelines for more occupations, particularly in the transportation sector. However, there's currently not enough guidelines. They're not strong enough. They're not specific enough for enough occupations, um, but we're still really pushing that to get that information out there where it's needed. Workers really need enforceable standards that are protective and implement consistent levels of protection across an industry. They need this so that they know that they're work is safe and their employer has those protections in place to keep them safe because every worker has the right to a safe workplace. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of labor unions, that protection that they have, there's a lot of protections that uh, represented workers have that a lot of workers in other industries or all industries for that matter don't have. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think where the unions are, you see really strong safety and health committees that have a lot of worker involvement and they're able to push these guidelines with their employers to say, look, here is what the government says we need to do. And that's why it's so important that we push the government to issue more guidelines. But for workplaces that don't have any labor unions and don't have that strong worker voice to come together, they need the government to force their employers to make the correct actions. And that's why we need an enforceable standard. I agree. Brian, if I could, let's go back to you for a second. You know, let's say what happens if an employee refuses to enter a train 
you know, that supposedly is uh, suspected to be infected? Would they be disciplined or what would happen? Would they have the right to say, you know, I don't feel safe going on that train? In the rail industry, we have what is called the FRFA, Federal Railroad Safety Act. There is language in there that would protect the members from discipline under certain circumstances where the employee would be allowed to make a good faith safety challenge and if it's con- contract the virus. It cannot be disciplined for being absent as it would be against you know, a portion of the FRSA. So it's a good, um, you know, in this case, that safety act helps us. Okay, does anyone have anything else that we didn't cover uh, today that they'd like to get out? Uh, we're, I think we're good, Brian. Okay, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. There's uh, been some uh, great information on this podcast. I ask that everyone share it, if you will. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Y'all have a great day. For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at TWU.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at TWU.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcatcher, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel.